You're listening to the Hermiston Assembly Sermon of the Week. For more information on Hermiston Assembly or to learn how to give, download the Hermiston Assembly app on the App Store and Google Play Store or visit hermistonassembly.com. Enjoy the message. Sometimes we want to flex our muscles or we try to have a standoff with the enemy or with people. And God says, you know what? If you will take care of my business, I'll take care of yours. Amen? And, uh, and we fight it by spending our time praying, seeking him, reading his word, uh, acting in obedience to what his word gives us. And, and, uh, and when we do, you'll be amazed at how God will work in, in and through your life. Amen? Praise God. It's so happy to be home. I've been gone for the, we've been gone for the last couple of weeks. Um, we got to go down to um, California, and uh, we were visiting Clayton and Adriana there, and our girls went on a little missions trip as well to Mexico, and uh, for the first half of our time gone, and then uh, the last half, uh, we all headed to the woods and hung out in the woods for a while up at, in Northern California area. Um, uh, there's no better feeling than to have all your kids under the same roof. Can you say yes? That's a good thing. And, uh, and my wife just kept saying to me, she's like, I'm so happy to have all my kids together. And so um, it was just a little family time with them. And then we got home a few days ago. So, um, and so I'm excited about today, but also about tonight. Um, tonight initiates the second half of our DNA sessions. How many have been thoroughly enjoying these DNA sessions? Yes. We've been, I heard last week they had what we call a fire tunnel. Um, if anybody's ever been a part of that, it's just where uh, people line up on both sides and, and people go down through the middle and receive prayer. And uh, we've had some awesome testimonies coming out of that um, as people are just learning to hear God's voice and, and not only that, but also just studying God's word. Uh, Mark and Rod have been taking us through the New, Te- New Testament and so tonight, they're going to be getting into some books written by the Apostle Paul, Corinthians, and some of the smaller New Testament books, the epistles. And, um, and then tonight, we're going to talk about um, the gift of the prophetic and uh, to receive the gifts of the prophetic. And so um, if you signed up and you bought the books, but you haven't come yet, please come. It's not too late. Um, each one of those sessions are a standalone session. And uh, you will not be disappointed if you've missed a couple. I know, of course, I've missed a couple now. Um, but uh, you missed a couple. Please continue coming and uh, being a part of that. And so um, I'm just looking forward to this evening. I'll be a part of facilitating that second portion tonight. And so um, we just encourage you to be a part of it at 5 p.m. Amen? If you have your word today, open up with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. I want to pick up where we were at about a month ago. I initiated this chapter 11, and uh, I, only got a few, I only got a few points into the message. Um, and as I got into it, I realized there's just so much depth and richness in just this chapter. Um, and we were, I was only going to t- look at the first 16 verses of this chapter, but um, today we're going to touch on just a few more verses. But... I want to talk about the fact that faith is. Faith is, is what I'm entitling this series that we're in. And when you read Hebrews 11, verses 1 and 2, the word says, Faith brings our hopes into reality. I'm speaking from the Passion Translation. And becomes the foundation needed to acquire the things we long for. 
it is all the evidence required to prove what is still unseen. This testimony of faith is what previous generations were commended for. New King James says, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And then let me look at verse two again. And this testimony of faith is what previous generations were commended for. And so what I'm getting into here in this chapter 11 are the testimonies of faith. How many of you know that to give a testimony, when you hear someone give a testimony about a miracle, we heard um, Shane give us a couple testimonies about his father-in-law and then about the provision with raising funds through the fireworks booth. But when you hear a testimony of God's provision or miracle or answered prayer, what is it? It sets a legal precedent to do it again. In fact, the word testimony means literally do it again. Say it with me, do it again. When you hear someone give a testimony, you ought to say in your heart, Lord, do it again. If you did it for them, you can do it for me. Amen? And so as we look at these testimonies, and really chapter 11, in fact, when you get toward the end of chapter 11, Paul will even say, he'll say, you know what? The time fails me. You know, I'm going to have to stop here. How many hate it when you have to stop a testimony service? Especially when you're hearing one after the other of miracles, provision, answered prayer, revelation, salvations, whatever it is. And then you, and you say, you know what, we're running out of time now. That's what Paul was saying as he got toward the end of this chapter. He says, listen, I wish I had more time to tell you. And so, but he tells us of some stories of great faith among men and women of God here. And so when I talk about how faith, and, we, and we're going to, like I said before, use that phrase, faith is... I want you to understand this. Faith doesn't come from striving. Faith doesn't come from striving. It comes from surrender. Do you realize that our walk with God is obedience-based? Just because you're older and have gray in your hair doesn't mean that you're spiritually mature. Hello? <laughs> I'm not trying to offend anybody here. I'm just saying age does not equal maturity. You know, you could have, you could have a 40-year-old or a 40-something like myself who acts like a 13-year-old spiritually. It doesn't mean that, but when it comes to faith, faith is not about striving. It comes as a result of surrender. What is surrender? It's obedience. Meaning that when you pick up God's word and you begin to read it and, you're, and you see the testimonies and you see the things that God is saying, this is what it means to, to know me, to, to love me, to walk with me. And you're saying, Lord, I want that in my life. What are you doing? You're saying, Lord, I want to obey. I want to, I not only hear you, but I surrender to it. And, and the amazing part is, that's why when a person comes to Christ, what are they doing? They surrender their self. They obey, they say, Lord, I acknowledge I'm a sinner. Meaning, like the Bible says in Romans 6.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory or God's perfection or God's holiness. And we recognize, Lord, I can't do this myself. I cannot get there by my own wit, my own good works, my own striving. Uh, if, striving really is that of a slave versus that of a son. And, and you're going to hear more of that in, in, in the message this morning when it comes to what faith is. And so faith is not 
from striving, it's from surrender. When you think about this area of faith and we, t- and you, you, we think about fear, fear wars against what we were created for. We were hardwired for faith. We were created for faith. Our whole relationship with Jesus is by faith. And it comes as we perform acts of surrender, as we surrender our heart. It's the product of the work of God. It's not the product of my will. I cannot will myself to salvation. I cannot will myself into heaven. I can simply say, Lord, I surrender. And it's amazing. Every time we take a step of obedience, faith grows. It's almost like you're reconnecting the hard wiring that was disconnected because of sin. When sin entered into the world, all those, all those connections were unplugged. But when you begin to say, put your faith and trust in Jesus, those connections begin to be reconnected and you begin to experience more of a flow of God's presence, God's power, God's provision, God's promises. Can you say amen? Amen. 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 It's the product of the work of God. You cannot will it. You can yield yourself to faith because you were designed for faith as a believer. I'm kind of laying some foundation here. Think about this. Faith allows us to co-partner with God. In that place of co-partnering with God, nothing is impossible. You know, every Sunday morning, we, we have worship. We, we do our battles there. Yes, we, we worship God, we adore him, we, we celebrate him, and then we get into the offering time. We live to give is one of our, is one of our mottos. And, uh, and, we, and we say these things about, Lord, you know, jobs and better jobs, bonuses, paychecks, checks in the mail, all these things. Do you know what that kind of language is? That's not the language of a slave. That's the language of a son. Does that make sense? Because sometimes, I think, some, I think for some of you, it might be offensive to say these things. It might seem selfish to say these things. It might seem even, you might feel like it's unbiblical to say certain things. But when you're a slave in God's family versus a son in God's family, your language is going to be different. You go from being a beggar, oh God, if you can give me a better job, will you? God wants to make provision. God wants to provide. Why? He wants to see his kingdom grow. He gave his only begotten son. He sowed his son into the world to reap what? To reap the world, to reap souls. And we, the body of Christ, we want to give him his reward. We want to say, Lord, we want... In other words, what we're doing is we are partnering with him. When we operate by faith, we are partnering with God... We are not just, we're not, we're not simply the slave in the house saying, oh God, if you will, will you please bless me or make provision here, but rather, Lord, I want to come and work with you in this salvation story. Do you realize that when you become born again, when you go from being a slave to a son, that you are co-partnering with him, that you are now an extension of his work? That, that now you are part of bringing in the harvest. Now, the harvest is, let me choke, get my voice clear. The harvest is because of Jesus, meaning that he's the one who gave himself for it. But, net, but doesn't the word say this? Pray to the Lord the harvest that he would send laborers into the field. 
And so every time we go out in the field, every time we see a promotion or a bonus or a provision, and every time we give to the kingdom, what are we doing? We are out in the field reaping the harvest for Christ. Does that make sense? And so when it comes to faith, it allows us to co-partner with him. It's the life and nature of God operating in us. When you're operating in faith, you're operating as a son, you're operating as a daughter, you're, you're going from being a beggar to a believer, from a slave to a son. How many of you know in the Old Testament times, slaves and, and sons of the owner were raised in the same house, but only one of them inherited the house? Slaves were always slaves. They just did what they were told. Some believers live their life this way. They say, I mean, and, and it sounds simplistic, and, you, and it, you may think it's an easier way, but some just say, you know what? Just tell me what the rules are, and I'll be all right. Just tell me what's expected, and I'll be fine. But we don't live by, say, rules. We live by relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? You know, our relationship is not based on the rules themselves. It's based on knowing him. Because how many of you know Jesus, he fulfilled all the law. All the law is fulfilled in him. And what we're to do is rest in Christ. Amen? And so we're hardwired for this. And, and it's the life of God operating in, this, in us when we're operating in faith. So the best thing we can do is to allow faith to operate in us and not focus on the things that cause anxiety, distractions, fear, from the things he's put in our lives. And so as we get into this this morning, part of it's review, but, but at, by the end of this time together, this is the goal that we're looking at. This is what we're going to see before this service is done, is that God wants us to place a demand on his promises. He wants us to, because why? Because we're co-partnering with him. In other words, that we are in this by relationship. We are in this to enjoy his presence, to enjoy this love relationship with him, but also to see his kingdom grow. To see, and you've heard this many times over, to see our family saved, to see our city saved, to see our county saved, to see even our own nation saved. Amen? And so one of the points I made a few weeks ago was this, faith empowers you to see proof of God's word. Verse three, faith empowers us to see that the universe was created beautifully, created and beautifully coordinated by the power of God's words. He spoke and the invisible realm gave birth to all that is seen. Psalms 37, four says, delight yourself in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. We need to go from striving in faith to delighting in God. How much time do you spend in prayer or talking to God? How much of, how much of that time is consumed by, but God, I, I need this, I gotta do this, can you help me with that? How much time do we consume ourselves in those areas and we miss just delighting in him? Just coming into his presence where the Bible says there's fullness of joy and at his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. God says, just come and delight in me. Because while you're taking care of my business, meaning while you're just coming and, and, and focusing on me and approaching me, he says, I will take care of what concerns you. Amen? In fact, while you're here right now, focusing and delighting in Christ, he's taking care of your business. 
He's taking care of that hospital bill. He's taking care of that, that, that sick loved one, that unsaved son or daughter. He's busy doing what he does. And that's performing miracles. That's making provisions. That's fulfilling his promises. And so before we can do anything, we need to learn how to delight in God. Secondly, faith moves you to the place of making right choices. If you recall a few weeks ago, I talked about Cain and Abel. Verse 4 says, faith moved Abel to choose the more acceptable sacrifice. In other words, that, that when you operate in faith, it will, it will move you to make right choices. In the, in the case of Cain and Abel, and I'll say this briefly, but in the case of Cain and Abel, Cain brought a sacrifice. Abel brought a sacrifice. Abel's sacrifice was what God was calling for, a lamb without scars or disease. It was a representation of Jesus Christ that would come and offer himself as that lamb, innocent, didn't do anything wrong, but yet took upon himself our sins. And so all the way back to the garden, God had showed Adam what it would take to save him. And it's through Jesus today. We see it today. Abel, though, or Cain, I should say, he decided to bring a, his own kind of sacrifice. He said, you know what, I don't want to have to, because he was the farmer and, and Abel was the herdsman and Cain would have had to go to Abel to exchange some crops in order to get the lamb. And so we see here there was a jealousy among the brothers. And when Cain brought his sacrifice, he said, listen, this is not, this is not what is required to cover sin. This is not what's required to, this is not what I've asked for. I've asked for a sacrifice. And the Bible says that God gave Cain an option. He said, listen, he said, you can either do it right or, you, or sin is waiting for you at the door. Meaning that if you walk out of the room and you don't take care of this sacrifice, he said, it's going to consume you. What was consuming him? Jealousy. Envy. To the point where he murdered his brother. Think about how does that apply to us today? Think about, I was just talking to someone this morning, we were talking about in the advent of social media, you know, most, probably many if not most of us in this room are on some measure of social media and we probably are right now as I'm talking flipping through Instagram or Facebook, can you say yes? Do I need to give an altar call even as I speak? Don't think I'm blind. I can see. <laughs> I see it every Sunday. And so, but we have what we call, we, we, we develop envy. Wow, I wish my family was that perfect. I wish I could have gone on that vacation. Their life seems great. Everything seems perfect. The lighting is just right. Out of the hundred photos, they picked just the right one. And if we don't get... If we don't get 100 likes in the first hour, we delete it and try again. You know, because, and, and so what we do is we develop this, this jealousy for one another. We even develop offenses that come out of it. We may not be offended directly with them, but we're offended with our situation, offended with God. Paul said to, or God said to Cain, Cain, don't leave the room until the offense is taken care of. Sometimes the worst thing we can do when we're in a fight with somebody, whether it's your spouse or a child or a friend, the worst thing you can do is walk out of the room. You can't resolve things when you leave the room. 
I've, I've counseled people over the years, married couples over the years, say, well, I need some time of separation. I need just to go take care of my stuff. I need to be on my own for a while. I need to take care of myself. Uh, it's, it, this is the thing. We think we're pretty good. We think we got our stuff under control until we walk back in the room. Hello? In other words, hey, I'm doing pretty good. I haven't cussed anybody out lately. But when, but when we walk into the room with the offender, all of a sudden it just comes out. Why? Because it never left. It never got worked out. And, and, and God was telling Cain, Cain, don't leave this room until you work it out. Don't leave this room until you, you know, until you work out your stuff. Until you make the proper sacrifice. It's amazing, even on social media these days, we would rather take out our vengeance on somebody publicly than to go to them privately. What does the word say in Matthew chapter 18? It says, if, there's one, if you are offended with one among you, go to them one-on-one and take the offense. Say, hey man, that hurt me the other day. Or hey man, in fact, the Bible even says to the offender, even if you don't think you offended anybody, it says if you learn that you offended somebody, don't offer your sacrifice until you take care of it. And you may say, well, what did I do? You know what? I learned when I grew. I grew up in a Baptist high school. I grew up Pentecostal church, but in a Baptist high school. And one thing I learned from the Baptists, and I praise God for what I learned, was that it doesn't matter if you were right or wrong. Obviously, it takes two to tango, and you got there somehow, and so whatever it is, you say, you know what, listen, I am just sorry. You may say, well, I didn't do nothing. Just say sorry. Is your ego that big that you can't say, you know what, for what part I have played in this scenario, for what I have done to cause offense, please forgive me. Tell me how and that I don't do it again. Does that make sense? And God is saying to Cain, he says, listen, Cain, don't leave this room. Don't take it to Facebook. Don't take it to Instagram. Don't take it to these places. He says, stay in the room and work it out right here with me and your brother. I didn't intend to get into all that stuff. But God says here, because I'm telling you, faith, it will be, faith will be laid on the altar of sacrifice because of offense. If fence rules and reigns, faith cannot reign in your heart. Jealousy and envy kills faith every time. Faith moves you to walk in forgiveness and obedience. When you make, when you make decisions by faith, God gives you the power and the ability to follow through with that right choice. As a result, of your, as, as a result your faith grows in the assurance and you grow in maturity and trust in God. Meaning, every time you take that step of obedience... You say, God, because there are going to be times where you, you, may, you may say, you know what, I don't know how I got here. I don't know what I did to offend. I don't know, how, I don't know where it started. Some people are, have been offended for so long they forgot what they were offended about. And at some point, you have to say, Lord, I'm not going to leave this room until I have made the proper sacrifice. I'm not going to leave this room until I have made men's with my brother, men's with my sister, men's with my husband or with my wife or with my child or with my parent, whoever, or with my coworker or with my boss or whoever it is. I'm not going to leave the room. A couple pastors ago, and we're talking several years ago now, uh, C.K. Barnes, how many, how many of y'all remember a man named C.K. Barnes? Some of our 
people do. I was told, I never met him, but I was told that this is how he took care of offenses. At least one of the ways he took care of it. He would show up to your house with a pint of ice cream and two spoons. Will that work? Okay. We're going to all get fat and sassy. And he would show up to your house with a pint of ice cream and two spoons. And he would say, we're going to eat this thing until we have worked out our issues. <laughs> and he would give them a spoon and he would take a spoon. They would share that pint until they got through whatever was going on. Some of y'all are going to rush to Safeway after the service. You're just looking for a reason to eat a pint of ice cream, right? But we have to be careful that faith is not offered, is not offered on the altar of offense, that it does not become a casualty, amen? And so today, <laughs> that was all introduction, by the way. I'll get to the end here real quickly, though. My third point is this. Faith leads to a life that pleasures God. When you're, when you're in that place of faith, we see here in the book of Hebrews 11, verse 5, it says, Faith lifted Enoch from, his, from this life, and he was taken up into heaven. For before he was translated to the heavenly realm, his life had become a pleasure to God. When you walk by faith, you, you are pleasing God. That's the currency that he operates in. That's the, that's the language he understands. Uh, and we see here that faith pleases God. No man, in fact, no man can see God without faith. And it's not just that initial act of accepting Jesus in your heart, but it's that life of faith. Salvation is just that first step to a whole life of faith. And we see here that Enoch, if you go back to the Old Testament, the word shows us that Enoch lived 365 years. And, and I began to look at some of the history. This is in the book of Genesis. I began to look at some of what the things that followed and the things that were before him as I was reading through this. And, I, and he was facing all the same kind of human circumstances, the cause for offense. In fact, it was not long after his time on earth that Noah and the ark and the flood came. In fact, some historians say that Adam even lived up to not long before the flood. They were living thousands of years. Adam lived over 900 years. And we see Enoch, 365. His son Methuselah, Enoch's son Methuselah, lived 969 years. He was the one that broke all the records. He lived the longest. All this was all leading up to the flood. And we see here that the Bible says that Enoch lived such a life of faith that it pleased God. Faith makes way for the life of intimacy with God. He faced all the same challenges of life and family and finance. You know, he had he, all those years. You know, our, our days are numbered as being anywhere from 80 to 100, right? You know, at, at best. He lived 365 years. And as one person put it this way, Enoch, and this is all between the lines, but Enoch and God are out having a conversation one day, and, and in essence, God says, you know what, Enoch, we're closer to my house than yours. Why don't you just come home with me? That's part of the pleasure and the delight God had in Enoch. Does that make sense? That he pleasured him. He was a pleasure to God. He was a delight to God. God took delight in him. He would be what I would probably call a friend of God. God's got a lot of followers, but he doesn't have a whole lot of friends. 
Do you know this? God's looking for friends. <laughs> He's God Almighty. He's the one that created the heavens and earth. He breathed the stars into place. But in all reality, he's looking for friends. He even said of Abraham when he was about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, he said, how can I do this thing unless I talk to my friend Abraham? Right? God's looking for friends. He's looking, that, he's looking for individuals that will operate by faith and, and, and it pleases God. Then the next, my next last point here is this, and this is where I really want to focus today. Faith proves that God is and that he is a rewarder. Faith proves that God is and that he is a rewarder. Verse 6 says, without faith living within us, it is impossible to please God. For we come to God in faith knowing that he is real and that he rewards the faith of those who give all their passion and strength in seeking him. I'm going to tackle something here for the next few minutes that maybe uh, we've not thought about a whole lot. But the word says that, number one, that God is. What is he? In other words, that, that when we look at this whole passage is all about faith. This whole passage is the relationship between us and God by faith. And we see here that the word says that without faith living in us, it is impossible to please him. Enoch pleased God because he was walking by faith, living by faith, had that intimacy with God. And what was his faith in? Number, his faith was, faith was in the fact that God is. In other words, that we are confident in God's nature and in his character. In other words, that, that God who created the heavens and the earth, that as the word says, he's the same yesterday, he's the same today, and he will be the same tomorrow. He's not fickle. He doesn't say one thing one day and change his mind the next. He says what he means and means what he says. And not only that, but he is a rewarder. Can you say that with me? God is a rewarder. Say it with me again. God is a rewarder. This is part of his nature and his character. Now, when it comes to our walk with God, none of us want to be caught or none of us want to be told, well, you're just doing that. You're just giving to getting. To get. You know, We've even sunk to lows when it comes to even tithe and offering. You, you know, we, we hear about stories, we see, or we hear things said, you know, if you give this much, you'll get this much back. And we think that in some measure, we think that's not right, that I don't want to be deemed as I'm giving just to get. But in all reality, it does not deny the fact that God is a rewarder. It says, number one, we're to believe that he is, in other words, we're confident in his nature and his character and that he is a rewarder. That's part of his character. Now, we, when we do give, and I'm not talking just money, I'm talking about our time, our heart, our passions, all of these things come into play. We give out of compassion. We give out of giving honor. The fact is that, he re, that his rewards are still a reality. In other words, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him as the word says. It's all about our heart. It's about our, the, 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 the purity of our heart, seeking his kingdom first. In fact, he says, if you seek my kingdom first, all these other things shall, come, shall follow you. What is that? That is your reward. That is his response to believing that he is and that he is a rewarder. 
Let me go a little, little, little further in this. Think about it this way. He concerns himself with, with things so that we don't have to concern ourselves with those things. He says, if you'll just, and we talked about obedience earlier, he says, if you'll just obey me, if you'll just, every time you take it, which is an act of faith, every time we take that step of faith, that step of obedience, faith is, is we, we feel the connections are being made. We begin to experience more of God's presence, more of God's favor. He says, as long as you will make the number one thing the number one thing, I'll take care of everything else. Does that make sense? In other words, that when we concern ourselves with the things that concern him, he takes care of our things. This comes out of the subject of us pleasing him. Everyone's been given a measure of faith, giftings, a measure of abilities. Think about Matthew chapter 28, the landowner who went away and he had three servants and he gave one servant five talents, one servant three talents, one servant one talent. The, the first servant, when he came back, he had, he, had, he had exponentially made profit off of those five talents. The second servant had doubled the talents. He went from he went from three to six. He doubled. How many would appreciate 100% increase on your investments? Right? The landowner was pleased with the first and the second. And then he came to the third one. And the guy said, well, Lord, I know that, that you're a cruel man and, you, and, you, and you're a shrewd businessman. And so, you know, I didn't want to lose it. So I saved it and I just buried it. And now here you go. There's that one talent you gave me. What did, what did the landowner say? He said, you, you evil servant. <laughs> he called him evil because he was sitting on something valuable and he didn't do anything with it. And he took the one coin and gave it to the one who had the most. We live in a society now that rewards everybody equally. Whether you work for it or not, and it just perpetuates what we call mediocrity. Everybody gets a trophy. Everybody gets money. More than half of our, am I getting into a hot area right now? You know, more than half of our society is subsidized by government. Many of those have been earned by retirement, but others are just not earning it. And, and, it, and, and that, is not where, that is not God's best. That's not where God wants us. He doesn't want us living in mediocrity. But yet, he says, if you will, I even, in fact, I've, I've encouraged people who have nothing. I had, some, I had a young gentleman in my office just a few days ago that just is hitting bottom and was looking for help, and we worked with him and, and helped him. But I said, listen, the best thing you can do from this day forward is with that job you have, begin to pay tithe. Don't worry about paying back the money because you're not, it's, you, don't owe, you don't owe us. You don't, there's no strings attached in our act of compassion here, our act of uh, generosity. In fact, when we give to people, we give it with, and I told him, I said, listen, there's no strings attached here. It's not, you don't owe me nothing. But rather, I encourage you to do what the word says and begin to give God what he has asked for. Give him what is his. And when you do that, you go from being a slave to being a son. You go from being a beggar to being a believer. You go from being, uh, you go from being just uh, someone who's just waiting to be told what to do, and you go from that to being, hey, God, what can we do to reach that person? 
You go to co-partnering with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Amen? And God says here that we need to believe that not only that he is, but he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Galatians 6, 7 says, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. A man reaps what he sows. A lot of times when I've read that, I always think to myself, we're talking about bad things. I've sowed some bad things, therefore I'm gonna reap some bad things. But the opposite is true. If you sow good seed, you're gonna reap good seed. And to not reap good seed is a, is a mockery of God's character. Why? Because he is a rewarder. For you to not reap a benefit from that shows that he's not who he says he is. Does that make sense? In other words, that he says, it is a mockery when you've done what I've asked you to do and there's no, there's no uh, fruit from it. It's a mockery to my nature, a mockery to my character. It speaks against me rather than for me. And so God says here, he says, if you will sow in obedience and in faith, I will grant you a reward. Look at King David back in 1 Samuel chapter 17. It was the, it was the day that he showed up his dad told his his dad told him he says take some meat and cheese down to your brothers they're they're warring against the Philistines and he said go down there and give them some food and see how they're doing tell me what they're doing David shows up this man Goliath who was probably some put him in between 10 and 15 feet tall as far as height is concerned Shaquille O'Neal has nothing on this guy I saw Shaquille O'Neal on a show the other day and I could not believe he was standing with tall men like Chris and taller, and he still looked like a giant above them all. But he had nothing on this Goliath. And Goliath come, and, and David comes up on the scene in 1 Samuel 17, 25. Now the Israelites have been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give, and, and, and so the word says, the king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him a daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. And David asked the man standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? In other words, David heard it and he said, now tell me again, what is the reward? You'll get his wife. You'll... you'll uh, be exempt from taxes, you and your family, the rest of your life. That was his reward. And so the word says, who, and then David turned around and said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And they repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills Goliath. And so not only did he want to know what the reward was, but immediately his faith kicked in. The moment you talk of reward, sometimes it gets you in trouble. Verse 28 goes on to say, when, Eli Eli when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? With whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know you I know how conceited you are and how wicked you, your, your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Meaning that David was asking about the reward and the brother said, you're arrogant. Talking of reward. And so when David hears the reward, his own courage and faith kicks in. And we know the rest of the story. He went out and he, and he ran to the battle. He ran against the enemy. 
Any man or woman of God, you don't have to worry about running away from the enemy. You, you run toward the enemy. Why? Because you're confident in whom you serve. It wasn't David's arrogance. It was his assurance that God is who he says he is. In Proverbs 25, verse 2, it says it this way, It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, and to search out a matter is the glory of kings. Think about it this way. God does not hide things from us, but for us. God does not hide things from us, but for us. When we take those acts of faith, when we say, Lord, I'm sick of striving. And I'm striving because I'm doing it my way. I want to concede. I want to enter into obedience. I want faith to thrive. I want faith to not only just grow, but I want it to be pleasing to you. That when you begin to enter into this realm of faith, from going from being a slave, just living by the rules, to being a son, from going from just doing what you're told to partnering with God, and realizing that as you approach God, because you're confident that he is, and that he's a rewarder, when you approach him in that way, you begin to see the hidden secrets come out. Jesus even told his disciples, he said, to my friends, I can't withhold any secrets. He said, you're my friends. He says, I talk to everybody else in par parables and riddles and stories, but to you, I talk. To you, I give you the secret. Why? Because you're my friend. If God the Father tells me anything, I have to tell you because I can't keep a secret from my friends. God is looking for us as believers to walk in that realm of faith to where we're co-partners, where we're partnering with him, walking with him, having intimacy with him, God says, that's the kind of faith I want you. I want you to believe that not only I am, but that there's a benefit in it. My presence, my wisdom, my favor, my glory. Amen.